We're recording on Gadigal land and we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and pay our respects to their culture and elders. I'm Karina May. I'm Claire Fletcher. And we love rom-coms. They are our favourite kind of love stories. We love reading and watching rom-coms so much that we started writing our own. We're always chasing that rom-com feeling. You know the one. The warm and fuzzy one. And we might not be experts, but by God, we're enthusiastic. So Claire, we're recently back from the Romance Writers of Australia conference in Sydney and it was your first conference. Oh, it's pretty special. There's something in the air, Karina. Can you smell it? Do you know what it is? It's romance. (laughs) Why are you being so funny today? (laughs) Claire's sick and I think maybe... Uh, Overcompensating, perhaps. Yeah, and I appreciate you being here. Um, We had booked the studio, so the show must go on. The show must go on. The professionals that we are. Um, But yeah, we had the best weekend full of panels, uh, meeting writers that we have only spoken to on the internet. Um, I have to say, like... Everyone talks about RWA and how great it is, but I didn't get it until I experienced it. You had been before once, twice. Yeah, I first joined in 2019 and my first conference was in Melbourne and that was when I first got a taste for this community and I was like, oh, there's other people like me out here. But it's hard to explain, I think, unless you experience it yourself. Yeah. I was just blown away by the scale of it. Mm. I think there were more than 300 romance writers Mm. in the room. And I think the other thing to know about this community is that it's got such a great vibe and it's not just romance writers in the room. Like everyone wants to be part of it. There were crime writers there that just like hanging out. Which I think begs the question, is there romance in every story? Because I think anyone can attend that conference. Definitely. Well, it, it served as a great reminder to me of how broad and diverse the Church of Romance is. The Church of Romance. The Church of Romance. Was that a, a bridge too far? No, I love it. We're but worshippers in the church. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, I think you and I have both come from more of a romantic comedy kind of focus. And so the more traditional kinds of romance, which I think is probably the more strictly structured version of those genre stories, which in turn can hold all different genres, different spice levels. Mm. It's interesting and I hadn't thought about like definitions of romance until I started listening to another new podcast, which I've really been enjoying lately, Love on Campus. Love on Campus. So we're saying love really is in the air because not only have we received lots of love since launching our podcast, um, but there's some other romance podcasts that have started around the same time as us, which is very exciting. Love on Campus is brilliant. It's Australian as well. Um, and three women, I think they're all based in South Australia. They've got a great rapport. They obviously work together and I think they've had a lot of chats about romance. Uh, and so, like us, they've decided to hit record on those conversations. But, you know, where we're pretty fast and loose, they are academics. And mm. so they're bringing um, a lot of academic rigour to discussions about what the elements of a romance story are different subgenres, yeah. It's and a you, very smart approach. You recently listened to their Enemies to Lovers podcast, which um, you know we've recently dropped ours. Um, Bloody scooped us. <laughs> two, two very different episodes. Um, so yeah, there's room for everyone. We love love. Uh, we love rom coms, and I think we're on a high just after our weekend. So bear with us this episode. We might be extra cheery, <laughs> 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 saccharinely so. <laughs> 
There are lots of great takeaways from the conference and I think one thing that I wrote down that I thought we could talk about was around tropes. So there was an industry discussion panel and it had some publishers, I think there might have been an agent on the panel Mm. and they were talking about the different trends that are coming through in publishing, especially in romance. Uh, Romanticy, a big one. Romanticy, yeah. And also Dark Academia, which Mm. um, another new podcast, Double Booked, two book bloggers, Kate and Sophie, they talk about that on their podcast as well. Um, Kate has recently discovered a love for dark academia. And now knowing it's a trend, not only do I love a trend, but it sounds fascinating. I really, uh, it sounds spicy as well. Mm. I don't know how we define dark academia. It's not a trope per se. It's probably more of a vibe. Yeah, a vibe. Or a trend, as you say. Mm. But it's it's quite a a visual, like it's a pretty evocative term. I think uh, when we talk about dark academia, the classic text is, of course, The Secret History, Donna Tartt, but it's also like little tartan miniskirts and long socks and cosy knits and boys that, you know, look like they haven't slept with their tossled hair. Like Cruel intentions, does Ooh, that classify? Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Yep. Oh, maybe I could get into dark academia. I wasn't sure if it was for me. I've read Secret History. I'm very proud of that because it's more of a <laughs> skewing literary, which I don't typically read. Um, Not a lot of humour in dark academia. So no, that's a drawback for me. Yeah, that's true. I, we can make up for it with sexy times. Yeah, true. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I brought up this industry panel because I was really struck by something that they said about tropes and... As we know, I don't know a lot about tropes. I'm still not entirely sure what a trope is. But I liked the way they talked about tropes being something that readers have really taken ownership of. And it's become, I guess, a kind of shorthand for readers to compare notes and point to the kind of stories that they like and find the kind of stories that they like to read. Yeah, it's like a shortcut, right? So even, you know, that's what a blurb offers, I think, on the back. Like, what 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 is this tin promising? What What's the contents? Um, and then... Yeah, we, we get another shortcut with these are the tropes that... Um, but it's also, you know, a bit of a trap as well for young players because there's a lot of expectations of those tropes. So if you're misusing tropes, you don't want to disappoint your reader either. So it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, they're definitely buzzy right now, hence why we are decided to structure our episodes largely this way. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely owned by the reader, not the writer, and writers are now starting to write to these tropes um, that obviously readers probably know more about than the writers. Actually, I know that they do. Yeah, I find that so fascinating. So what they were saying on the panel was that usually it would be coming from publishers. They would be using tropes as a shorthand for what these stories are about, but now it's really become a tool that readers use. And now, yeah, writers are almost reverse engineering their stories by starting a pitch with what tropes they're going to include. Mm. It's very interesting. I love it. So the trope that we want to talk about today is your classic second chance romance. Having another go at it, Claire. <laughs> and when I was doing some Googling around this, it seems like there's a few different schools of thought on second chance romance. Like often it's the same couple coming mm. back together mm. after a period of separation. But that's what I thought it was. Well, it also sounded like some people interpret it as someone who has just had a break from love altogether. Or maybe someone is grieving a lost relationship, you know, they've lost a partner or something has happened. And it's a second chance at love in general. Oh, I actually don't think the book top girl is would be happy with that okay. definition. Well, I think for the purposes of our conversation today, we'll <laughs> stick with the first definition. Well, I mean... I've Same got a, couple, second go at it. I've got a lot of feelings about this, even though it's a trope I don't particularly love. 
I have written, but... <laughs> well, it's hard to do well, right? It's, it's I think... So and it's we'll, like real life. If you broke up, yeah, should you really get never, back together? never, ever, ever getting back together. I think... Taylor will hear that and sue us, Karina. Oh, yeah. Whoops. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could get away with that. So I think writing Second Chance Romance is up there with Friends to Lovers, which we'll get to that in another episode, but that I find that I've never attempted that because I find that incredibly difficult. I know um, that you have attempted that, Claire. I'm not attempted. Sorry, that sounds like you haven't succeeded. You, <laughs> Tell you, me what you really think, Karina. <laughs> you have executed Friends to Lovers perfectly in the past, um, but have you attempted se- Second Chance Romance? No. Well, I think some people interpreted Stevie and Jono's relationship in Five Bush mm. Weddings as a bit of a Second Chance Romance. They were never romantically involved mm. early on. but Yeah. So for me, that fits squarely in Friends to Lovers, but mm. I can see as we regularly talk about our trademarked Venn diagram, that it could... Hit some overlap. Hit some overlap there. So I think in in summary, I don't really love it, I think, to read it because typically, and if we are going with that first definition of what it is, you have to go back and revisit that roadblock or the reason why they broke up in the first place, which can be challenging on the page when it's maybe something quite painful, well, it probably is, or even worse, miscommunication. We've spoken about that on past pods, uh, which is a bit harder to understand, I think, the older that you get when you're reading um, Mm. miscommunication tropes. Some readers really detest Mm. miscommunication. Mm. And I think if we're harking back to an old relationship, we're missing some of that delicious flirtation and the tension, like the lead up when you meet someone new and that emotional build up because you're skipping ahead and then you're going back maybe to pain and past. And I'm just I'm just saying, of, of course, there's books and we'll get into the texts that we do love that do this really well. But, yeah, that's my personal feelings about it. I don't know if you feel the same way, Claire. Yeah, well, I th- I d- I'm not sure I've thought about it as much as oh, you have. Sorry. But- it's just because Never Ever Forever is a second chance romance, so... And it's also enemies to lovers, so I've combined those two tropes, which is fun. Um, mm. So I think what you're saying is because it's a return to an existing relationship, you're not really getting the meet cute, for example, or you're not getting those really exciting, fizzy yeah, feelings of yeah. feeling out a new person. Yeah, and depending, I guess, on how the book is structured, obviously, you could still get the meet cute in flashbacks or however it's... it's um, but it's like I... Is there a re-meet cute? I mean, these people are of course, coming back together. Yeah, of course. There definitely can be a re-meet cute. But it's a loaded re-meet cute. So I don't think you get that floaty, really selling never ever forever. <laughs> but I think it's just a kind of different feeling. You go into the book with a different feeling. And I think the writer has to work really hard to take the reader on the journey. To There's a reason they broke up, right? So yeah. we've now got to believe why they're getting back together. Yeah, right. That's that's the hurdle that you have to clear. But I suppose there is also some rich territory to get into because it's so loaded and both these characters have the baggage of what happened earlier, whether, you know, they fully understand why it ended. And, mm. you know, all of these stories are always about characters growing and changing so that they fit together better. Mm. And I think that's what happens. I mean, I think Emily Henry does this And that's what so I was going to well. say. I think you get the payoff if the story takes you on because it feels more emotionally rich because, you know, we know that this maybe this relationship has spanned decades or depending on, you know, how long, like what is the history? And then when we do get that happy ending, it feels 
it's really been because they've they've literally scratched down to that raw bone potentially to build it back up again and we're invested so you get the payoff when it's done really well which Emily Henry does really well do you want to talk about happy place yeah it's the obvious one it's the obvious one and we've spoken about happy place already on this podcast but it's her latest release so I think it's very topical right now what do you like about that story? Well, I think Happy Place, to me, it's a lot of, like, physical tension. Mm. So you have two characters, and now I cannot remember their names. I nearly said Nora, but Nora's book lovers, right? Yeah, this is what happens, I think, once you read... Wynne and Harriet. Yeah, Wynne and Harriet. And I was going to say Poppy, but that's, <laughs> that's the people we meet on vacation. So in Happy Place, we have Wynne and Harriet, who were affianced, they were mm. engaged... Affianced. That's a good word. Did I say it right? I yeah, we should start a list of best words because mm. some come up on this podcast that I just don't think I've ever used. So they're a couple who's been together for a long time and I think they were, you know, this sort of golden couple that all of their friends kind of revolved around. They were engaged but have separated but their friends don't know. And so every summer the friend group would go to this house on a lake or a beach, there's always a body of water in these Emily Henry stories. There is a swamp next. Uh, And they decide to pretend that they're still engaged. And so they're both like carrying all this hurt about the breakup, but they can only show it when they're alone together. They have Mm. to share a room. Oh, there's just one bed. Uh, Trope alert. And throughout the book, I mean, it kind of hit a point where I was like, Jesus Christ, Emily, like... The tension was building. That shower scene, the outdoor shower scene. There were a lot of like Mm. almost but Mm. not quite um, moments of this sort of building heat between the characters. And I suppose, you know, that works really well because they both know how that goes. They know they're good together. There's the anticipation and then, oh, no, we can't. Will they, won't they? I think that one for me as well worked really well because there's not a huge gap between when they break up and when they get back together. So it's almost like a continuation for the reader. Like the book starts when they've already broken up. That's no spoilers. So we're still, you know, obviously not getting the meet cute. But I think I struggle a bit more with books when there's a huge gap between when they were together and then their second chance. Which sometimes makes sense, you know, I'm think, I'm imagining and I can't think of a specific example but the kind of thing that might lead to a couple breaking up might be they're coming from um, different values around having children, for Yeah, example. so it actually makes more sense that they might reconcile though So because people change, people right? People change yeah. and if enough time has passed, maybe one of them has changed the way that they've come to that. So one book where there is a big gap, 10 years, I think, from when they were together and then them breaking up and then the second chance romance is Every Summer After, which is uh, Carly Fortune. She's huge on book talk um, and her latest book, Meet Me at the Lake. She might have even announced another one, to be honest. I haven't read that, but I have read Every Summer After. For those of you that haven't read it, it's based around Persephone, um, (laughs) which Claire... I thought you'd like that name, given your love for Prudence in Perfectish. Mm, great name. It's a great name. Um, or Percy, as she's referred to in the book. Oh, that's cute. Uh, so she made the biggest mistake of her life, like 10 years ago in Barry's Bay. And she has to go back to Barry's Bay for her ex-boyfriend's mother's funeral, Sam's funeral, to confront her past. I think... There's two camps with this book because of the mistake that she made. And is the mistake 
Mm, I don't explicit give... from the start or is it kind of hanging over the book and you... No, yeah, you don't know. It's yeah. foreshadowed and yeah. you think surely it couldn't be that and that it is that and then you kind of, you really... I know what you did last summer. Did she murder someone? <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, like what's the biggest pain you can feel? I don't know. Oh, it's, God. Yeah, so I know that some readers by the end of that book still aren't on board with that. I was fine with it, to be honest. I actually thought we understood, like, Percy as a character and that journey and the mistake. But, yeah, it was definitely a true second chance romance. Um, So I'm excited. I mean, I haven't, not for lack of not wanting to read anymore from Carly, Meet Me at the Lake. Um, The covers are stunning. They're those, I don't know if you've seen the watercolours, like sunset colours, a very specific style. But, yeah, all over book talk right Mm. now. Are there any other novels that you've read? I mean, I can think of quite a few movies, um, but I have heard Love and Other Words, which is Christina Lauren. We're extra pumped about Christina Lauren at the moment because they've been announced for as the international guests for next year's Romance Writers Australia Conference in Adelaide. Um, and I've read so many of their books, including The Unhoneymooners, which we spoke about on a pod but I haven't read Love and Other Words. and Christina Lauren are another one of those like writing duos, right? Yeah, it's two people writing like together. Like Ali and Michelle. Yeah. yeah. So Christina and Lauren are coming to the conference next year. I could not fangirl more. So I'll definitely make sure I read Love and Other Words before they arrive. Um, but that's supposed to be like the second chance romance. That people... came up a lot in my research as well and I haven't read it either. So adding that to the TBR... But I was reminded of, I mean, for Australian examples, it's maybe a little oblique, but there's a writer that I really adore called Minnie Dark. She's fascinating, actually, because Minnie Dark is her alter ego for writing romantic comedies. She's a literary writer, isn't she? Yeah, Danielle Wood. Um, So she's a Tasmanian writer and actually I highly recommend there's an interview that she did for the Rights for Women podcast with Cassie Hamer where she talks about um, her writing process. And And how she gets into the different author voices as well yeah Yeah. because she's writing in these two quite different styles so she basically created this character of mini dark to get into her rom-com writing it's the perfect name right it's the perfect name i wonder how much brainstorming she did this is before she could have asked chat gpt what what the best romance name she had to use the original chat gpt (laughs) her brain her brain her brain but mini i mean and, and i always think of her as mini because i came to her work through these novels. I haven't actually read any of Danielle Wood's books. This is actually something I only found out from listening to that podcast with Cassie Hamer. Cassie Hamer is another amazing Australian um, fiction author. So, yeah, definitely check out that podcast. I'll link to that interview in the show notes. I really recommend it. And it's such a fascinating look at, um, yeah, how writers code switch between different genres. And for Minnie, it's... um, you know, she has this whole persona that she adopts. I think it might even she might even change like the way that she dresses to sort of get in the zone. And all that she's written three novels as Mini Dark, and they're all. I don't know if there's much like interconnection of characters within the stories, but there's definitely like places. I think it's all in sort of one town that's sort of a fictionalized version of of Tasmania. Anyway, the novel that I wanted to talk about is called Star Crossed. It was a big influence on me when I was writing Five Bush Weddings. I love that book. It's it's wonderful. It's like, I think I would call it like a really elevated... Smart rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her craft skill is apparent. Like, she's a beautiful, gorgeous writer, like, at the sentence level. But also the the planning that's gone into this, because it's all about astrology. 
And so we have two leads, Justine, who's an aspiring journalist, Nick is a struggling actor. And the second chance romance comes in where they um, they knew each other as kids. I think they had like a first kiss or like a little burgeoning romance and then didn't see each other again for many years. And the action of Starcrossed picks up when they are um, back in the same town. Mm. I think they have a run in at a market, don't they? Mm. I literally read this years and years ago and that's when I know it's a good book because there's scenes that stick out to me. Yeah. Like, I remember them still. There's definitely, like, a community theatre scene that's kind of the, the climax of the book that sticks in my mind. And did they have, like, they were neighbours and, and... They can kind of see each dr- other's yeah, house. Yeah, and I think they were doing, like, um, passing things with a string or something between the houses. Oh, as I mean, that's big, that's quite duckish, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a big park scene. Yeah, I remember, like, yeah, very, an amazing book. That's Stunning for a reread. Book. Highly recommended. And I mean, I guess the the conceit of it is all around astrology. So Justine has to do like the horoscopes for this newspaper that she's working for. And she's not a believer at all. She's a cynic. Whereas Nick is actually like really into it. So she's starts messing with him through the horoscopes. Yeah. So I think in planning out that book, Minnie must have done like full astrology charts for the characters because it's a real, it's a real little like quirk of, of the storytelling each character Get, is like assigned their star sign and there's all of that beautiful kind of fate versus choice stuff happening in the background of the story. So that's what I thought of for second chance romance. Mm. One second chance romance I wanted to quickly touch on is one written by US author Alyssa Sussman. Claire, I don't think you've read her, uh, but I fully recommend checking out her book. So Funny You Should Ask, I think, is her debut and was a bestseller. And then she's just released One More Time with Feeling, which I'm really excited to read because I absolutely loved Funny You Should Ask. And that book is a second chance romance with a bit of a spin in that the interaction that the protagonist had um, I'll just explain the story. So it's about a journalist um, who interviews a Hollywood heartthrob um, and they have like a one-night stand or like a whirlwind weekend and then, you know, he's kind of the one that got away and she has a relationship, you know, in the years that follow and then she's asked to do a follow-up piece. I love it. Yes, and they also, because the piece basically blew up the original one and went viral and paved the way for her career. So she's also got a lot. um, She owes him. She does. And in that time, he's become a bit washed up. And anyway, so they... they, The power balance has shifted. (laughs) Yeah, the power balance, yeah. And so then, yeah, they ask her to do this piece where it's basically following exactly what they had done the weekend of the first piece. So it's second chance because obviously they're meeting up again after I think it's like a decade or something. Ten years seems to be the time. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> quite, I guess. It's neat. It's neat. It's nice and neat. But it's a great book. And also an interesting thing, I think either Alyssa says this herself or it's alleged that the spark of the idea came from an article about Chris Pine where the journalist then did a follow-up piece on Chris Pine. So I think that obviously sparked something for her Um yeah, I just, it's a great read, I think, because you get Hollywood in there, the washed up Hollywoodness, like journalism. It's sexy, you know, because we're talking about one night stands. So 
couldn't recommend that book more as a second chance romance. It does it really well. It's making me think of my absolute favourite Barry McFarlane novel, Who's That Girl, which isn't second chance, I wouldn't say, but it does have that, you know, normie with a hot star kind of dynamic. Normie with a hot star. Mm, so good. Mm, aspirational. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope for all of us. There's hope for all of us. It's a lot of wish fulfilment in these stories, isn't it, Karina? Yeah, yeah. definitely. This ultimate Cinderella story. <laughs> there was one other Australian book that I wanted to shout out, which I really loved and I think flew under the radar a little bit. Uh, there's a West Australian writer called Sasha Wosley and um, she's got a new book out this year. This book came out, I think, in 2020 or 2021. It's called Spring Clean for the Peach Queen. It has an absolutely beautiful floral cover. So Spring Clean for the Peach Queen is about a character who leaves her small town and it's... It's a country town where they have this peach festival and as part of that there's the peach queen and Lottie was the peach queen and then all hell broke loose and she had to leave. So the story picks up years later. She leaves town when she's 18 and she comes back when she's 30 and a lot has happened in between. I think she goes on to be like a soap actress and she's very much in that like Daily Mail kind of gossip sites. I think she had boyfriend who was a bit of a bad dude um and yeah like her career is just sort of tanked so she returns to her hometown she's got a bit of a fraught relationship with her mum who's quite a feminist and is a bit disappointed in some of the choices that Lottie has made but the second chance element is that she reconnects with um the dreamy guy who was her peach king and he's you know from a farming family and he has this beautiful mum um, who Lottie really connects with and yeah I just you know it's a rom-com it's light it's fluffy it's got these really fun elements and it's funny but there's actually a lot of depth to it as well Mm. I found it really quite moving in the end Um, yeah just cannot recommend spring clean for the peach queen highly enough and I read the canary one I can never remember the time a caravan like a canary yeah that was great I yeah definitely want to read peach queen especially if there's a peach king And I wanted to do a quick shout out of an upcoming book that actually probably will be out by the time this episode drops. And it actually has second chance in the title. So you definitely know (laughs) what you're going to get with this book. Um, And it's by a debut, Joanne Spears. And it's a digital book published with Escape called Second Chance Love in Point Perry. And I think the characters are a bit older and it's about two people, (laughs) broken hearts, learning how to live and how to love again. And I think, again, it's about returning to hometowns, which is a bit of a theme to face. Um, And I think the hometown is called Point Perry. So um. (laughs) (laughs) the clue is in the title, Karina. (laughs) Point. (laughs) Why? Can't recover from that. Sorry. (laughs) You left it wide open. I think this is another trend that they talked about a little bit at RWA is mm. um, stories with older heroines. I think mm. we're going to see a lot more. And, mm. I mean, it's there's so much depth and complexity you yeah. can bring to characters of that age. I think it's fertile ground. And I am excited to talk about some of those new releases that are coming out next year. So on to some movies. We obviously have some amazing book examples. We love rom-coms. <laughs> so. Uh, When I think about movies, 13 Going on 30 springs to mind. Jennifer Garner. Mark Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. 
Uh, it's we- dreamy, but you can't think about it too much. I mean, it's weird. Whenever there's like a time jump, <sighs> it's sort of like, you know, she's a 13-year-old in the body of a 30-year-old and, you know, they have a pretty chaste relationship, but it's still... It's like Tom Hanks in Big. Like, yeah, it's just I'm of, glad you said the that. The ethics are weird. Because I was just, I don't know if you saw the terror in my eyes there when I was trying to think <laughs> about the best way to explain the second chance romance. <sighs> just go watch the movie. Um, Ticket to Paradise. I don't know if you've seen that one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a rom-com that came out maybe last year. I saw it at the movies with my sister. Shout out to Danica. She wanted me to say hello to her. <laughs> we'll be doing like a birthday shout out soon. We will be. If you need to propose to your significant other, <laughs> we are available. We are. This paid advert spot. So that is George Clooney and uh, Julia Roberts um, and they are a divorced couple. Their daughter gets married in Bali, announces it um, yeah, as a surprise. So they jump on the plane together to stop their daughter from making the biggest mistake of her life. And yeah, it's a it's a nice fun one. I think when you're seeing, you know, your favourite classic Hollywood uh, stars reunite. Actually, what were they in together? Was it I just know that they're friends. Oh, they're in um Oceans Eleven and stuff, aren't they? Mm. Mm, I think so. Are they? I mean, I don't know that they've, they've like, led a film together. No, they're not. I was I was trying to think that they were the um, Tob Hanks and um, Meg. Meg Ryan. Yeah, they're not. Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, yeah. Classic Second Chance. Yeah, again, returning to back hometown. To, back to the small town mm. when she's, you know, become a city magazine editor and wears a lot of skivvies. I just remember watching that and... Is that really how those beautiful stones are made? Like the lightning strikes the rocks? <laughs> no? I thought maybe. Anyway. I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, you don't remember that part? Another movie or movies, I should say, which they're not technically rom-coms, but I just love them anyway. The movies series is Before Sunrise and it's Ethan Hawke and Julie Dempsey. Delpy, I think. Del- Delpy. <laughs> You're so much better at names than me. I just, they just, I can't retain them. Unless it's George Clooney, I just, I can't remember. But they are filmed, I think they're filmed nine years apart, but the first um, movie, uh, the Ethan and Julie's characters meet on uh, a train, uh, Viennese Rail, and disembark um, at the last minute in Vienna and spend this whirlwind 24 hours together. So it's a very much what, what would have been, what could be, or is this, this just you know, leaving in the moment um, and then reunite, I think, yes, at nine years later for Before Sunset, which is the second chance um, in Paris, I think. And is that when he's just published? Yeah, book? and she attends the um, the book. Oh, these movies are exquisite. I'm still waiting for that to happen, by the way, mm. you know, all these book events for, you know, the one that got away to oh, walk through the doors. Matter of time, surely. <laughs> Well, that is a good meet cute, but it's a re re meet cute. So we spoke about that with Second Chance Romance, mm-hmm. um, and then the third movie before midnight, I think it is, or after midnight. Yeah, it's I won't spoil that, but it's a very realistic portrayal, I think, of maybe what happens when the Second Chance Romance book or movie ends. The continuation of that story. Love those movies. Um, I think that's something that Richard Linklater, the filmmaker, is really interested, right, in the passage of time and mm. how that works on characters. He's often revisiting characters or even actors over time. And I think, I mean, love 
and what we think of as romantic changes so dramatically from, you know, when you're in your 20s bumming around on a train in Europe to when you're in your 30s and you're having some professional success, but, you know, you're still looking for that great love. So now and then, we wanted to speak about, well, as much as possible, a movie that followed that second chance romance trope, The Notebook. Do we need to let listeners know the premise of The Notebook, the plot of The Notebook? Do you think there's anyone in the English-speaking world that hasn't seen The Notebook? Maybe a few males that, I don't know. I mean, it's not technically a rom-com again, would you say? It's a bit sad. Yeah, not very funny. So maybe we should change it our name just to the rom the rom pod that that rom pod. <laughs> yeah that rom pod honestly I wanted to have the opportunity just to talk about Ryan Gosling um he is the moment right now um <laughs> considering he was just in Barbie and I don't know Claire if you listened to the sentimental garbage episode on Barbie um, I did but Caroline O'Donoghue who's host of the show friend of the pod one day we hope yeah. We love you, Caroline. Um, <laughs> Call us. <laughs> all these shout-outs on this episode. We are getting loose and fancy-free. But she has this theory. Was it her theory? Anyway, that uh, Ryan came back for us. So normally, you know, we build up our Hollywood heartthrobs and then they go off and do Marvel and they don't come back to us. So Oh, that was really clever. Yeah, we, we made... It's ro- like male actors have to do their apprenticeship for a female yeah. audience and then they become real actors and make films for men. Yeah, so Ryan became Ryan Gosling, I think, through The Notebook. But he came back and gave the performance of his life in Barbie. And I couldn't really pinpoint what it was that was so special that it was Ryan Gosling for me playing Ken, apart from the nostalgia element. So that theory that he came back for us just really hit home for me. Mm. We're not talking about Barbie here. We're talking about The Notebook. Um, And I guess what we do with this segment is try and recast what that movie would look like if it was made um, now and what potential issues we might see in that movie. So, Claire, is there anything that springs to mind in that movie that's a little bit stalkery, a little bit... (laughs) persistent (laughs) that gets you going he's definitely persistent isn't he I mean he wrote her every day for a year (laughs) like the man doesn't say no I think even the way that they meet is a not so meet cute he just like spots her and he's like that's my girl yeah I'm going for it and she's with someone else Mm. from a lot of the film yeah so I also wonder what that movie would look like with a technology spin so like if he wrote her every day for a year would that mean he would be sliding into her DMs on Insta? He'd create a TikTok account and follow her. I think so much of the magic of the notebook is in the period, though. Like, it's that historical element. It's, you know, Rachel McAdams in those little rompers and things. Yeah, but I'm saying transplant that character mm. and, like, I think his his persistence would really appear stalkery in the online world. And I don't know that it's even that long since the notebook was made. I guess Two, it's 2004. Yeah, nine years. Mm. I actually thought it was made up like way before so yeah, yeah. it does have I feel kind like we've of, come a long way since that was right made. it's got a bit of an old, <laughs> old fashioned feel and I think part of that is that we're so much more culturally aware about like healthy patterns in relationships mm. now and like you say that very persistent uh, approach that Ryan Gosling has to romance in that movie 
you know, might ring a few more alarm bells now. I mean, love mm. bombing? What do we call it? Love bombing? Love bombing. I mean, I think even in a follow-up business sense, like how many emails is too many emails, <laughs> <laughs> especially in the publishing world, you do have to be persistent. Three. three. I think three. Any more than three, we really are venturing into we need a restraining order. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, And I guess, you know, you don't owe someone a full explanation or like a rundown of evidence why you don't want to be with them. Mm. I think in human relationships, we have to take people at their word mm. sometimes. And he does not do that in this movie. I mean, I think the alchemy of the notebook is about the package, right? I mean, so much of the folklore and the beauty of the film is the fact that Rachel McAdam and Ryan Gosling were McAdam. dating at the time, right? <laughs> mm. Did I say her name wrong? McAdams? McAdams. Yeah. No, I'm just happy because I'm normally the one that says names wrong. So We're even now. Sorry. I'm a troll today. I think it's the chemistry. Mm. The chemistry is so good in the film and I think it's partly that like titillating thing where you're like, oh, yeah, they were really making out when they were making this film and I think you can feel it. Okay, we'll allow it then. Mm. We'll allow it. have come to shelf love and what is on our bedside table now for me this week it's more what's in my ears so <laughs> I am a big audiobook lover it's the way that I am able to get through so many books and also do the washing up and do all the chores that I don't want to do <laughs> and this week I've been listening to an audible original called Lonely Hearts Radio and it's a novella, so it's a shorter audiobook. A typical audiobook for me, well, I listen on 1.4 speed. Ooh, busy woman. <laughs> it's, yeah, about like a four hour ish listen. And it's set in the late 90s in New York City. A girl from um, Wales has just come to New York City and kind of forced into being a radio host um, with this Australian transplant in New York City. And it's just delightful. Do they do it with the accents? They do it with the accents. Oh, so they that have great. they have a full cast, um, including Adam Demos. I think that's his surname. Um, he was in Unreal and that really really bad um, movie with Emma Roberts that I spoke about on the pod. Oh yeah, it. it just said I hate this. Yeah, it's just because he's this disgusting male like but I can I can separate Adam the actor and that character it did take me a bit actually when I first started listening to the audiobook um I was just thinking of this disgusting pig um (laughs) but um yeah it sold me and I think now because books are being written for audio, which is what Audible Original does, it's like an old school radio play. It's a really interesting form, yeah. isn't it? And I think, I mean, I know Saman Shard has written one mm. of these Audible Originals So as the well. author of uh, The Matchmaker, who we spoke about on the pod. So I think I love audiobooks anyway, and I think a great narrator um, can really bring a story alive. Like I loved my audiobook for Duck. I don't know if you have listened to your Five Bush Weddings one. Um, oh, I get too cringy. Like I got to listen to the auditions and even that, like I had to lie down. I was sort of like, it's someone I don't know is reading the words I wrote. It's too strange. Oh, I was able to separate myself as the author and listen to it 
as a fully formed thing. So it was a really special moment for me. I guess it gives you that distance. You can pretend it's someone else's story. Yeah, and the voices. But you do get the he said, she said, the way that it was written for on the page. Um, So for this particular audio book, None of that is there because it's written just for Audible and it's high production. So we get sound effects when we're in the cafe of like cups clinking and then they're on a radio show called Lonely Hearts Radio and they have intro music. Not as good as our intro music, (laughs) but yeah. So really recommend that. And it's free. I don't know if it's free for a limited time or if this is the Audible original book that's always free. Um... But it definitely put a little pep in my step this week. Claire, what are you reading? Uh, I've just finished The Rachel Incident, um, Caroline O'Donoghue's new novel, which I had been looking forward to for a really long time. And sometimes when you come to a book with high expectations, it's it's really hard for the book to live up to that. Um, and I was a little bit nervous, but I did not need to be. Every page of this book made me happy, made me laugh, had some, you know, observation that you know you know how you read those things and Mm. it's like I know this is true I've observed this all my life but I've never seen it put into words before yeah that's my favorite type when what you've observed is expressed back to you Mm. in in such a unique way yeah I think Caroline's got a really special gift for observation Mm. Um, so you make it makes you understand observation more in the language when it comes back to you yeah well Dolly Alderton's really great at that as well yeah I Genevieve mean, Novak, she's amazing yeah, at that. Yeah, bloody hell. <laughs> All of our smart friends. Yeah, <laughs> including Caroline Dolly and Dolly. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we could call the Rachel Incident romantic comedy, although there is romance and comedy. Um, it's probably skewing a bit more literary, mm. to be honest. Um, Ooh, I can't wait to – I was going to read that anyway. Now I can add another little literary tick <laughs> to my <laughs> reading list this year. Um, but, you know, just really – well fleshed out characters. It's very much about, you know, those relationships that you form at that that stage when you first at university. So she's living in a share house with a gay guy called James and so much of it is just about the kind of architecture of building a friendship with someone and all mm. their little in jokes and it's just a book that feels like it's written with so much love. And even though there are some tough things that happen in that story, you are left feeling really great. Hopeful? Yeah. And I think the the way that it's structured is powerful in that. So the book begins with Rachel as an older woman, you know, she's referring to her husband, she's pregnant. So we know that she's okay. So when she goes back to tell this story about a really tough part of her life as a young woman, at least we know that she's going to get through it. Mm. And so you can kind of go on the journey with her, but mm. there's always the, the hope or the, the safety of knowing that she's going to oh, be okay. Oh, that's really well structured. I love that. Because yeah, it, it would be distracting, I think, if you were spending the whole time going, you know, is she going to be okay? Yeah. So you get that reassurance up front. Yeah. And straight away you trust the story. Yeah. I really loved it. Oh, can't wait. Perfect pairing. We are your sommeliers. <laughs> You've got to practice that, Karina. <laughs> but yes, this is where we match a recommendation or a suggestion uh, based on your reading taste. Yeah, and a f- typically like a favourite or hyped um, book with Australian fiction. So we wanted to start with a book that I'm sure you haven't heard of, <laughs> Yellow Face. Claire, for those 
readers who haven't gotten there yet, what can we expect from Yellowface? Yellowface is a very buzzy book, probably one of the biggest titles to come out this year. I would say the biggest. Uh, so the author is Rebecca Kwong. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mm, I think so. She's incredible. She's 26 mm. and I think this is her fifth or sixth book that she's published and um, she's got a massive following and for good reason. So Yellowface is a, I guess we'd call it kind of a thriller, literary thriller in the sense that it is about the literary industry. It's all about publishing um, and specifically about... Uh, Behind the scenes behind the scenes of publishing so it's really great insight into the process of having a book published um I really recommend it just for that like if you've got an author in your life and you don't know what the process is like this is actually a really interesting way to learn about every aspect of the process of writing finding an agent Mm. taking it to publishers for acquisitions the editorial process the publicity machine it made me realize because I picked it up when obviously I knew it already had mass appeal. But at first I thought, oh, is this maybe too in-joke or too much about the world that I'm in? And that's why I love it. Mm. Um, but to see it resonate on a wider scale, um, yeah, really speaks to the interest, I think, in this. And, of course, it's about more than just publishing, Claire. Right. So that's good <laughs> of the context that the book is in, but the hook and, oh, my God, it's just set up so well. So it's about authors. So it's narrated in first person by a character called June mm-hmm. um, who kind of rebrands herself uh, through the process of the book. But she has a, she's friends been friends from college with another writer called Athena Lu, and Athena is like a goddess. She's gorgeous. She's very talented. A literary goddess. She's a literary goddess. And Athena has had much more success in the world of publishing than June has. There's a lot of resentment and jealousy there. Uh, And after a night out, they go back to Athena's house and uh, basically Athena dies. Mm, That happens so early on. It's It's definitely not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. Mm. Uh, And June picks up the manuscript of Athena's new book. And Athena is one of these writers that only writes on a typewriter, so there's only one copy of this manuscript. And um, June takes it with her and publishes it Mm. as her own work. And Uh. it goes from there. And so there's a lot of commentary and satire about the publishing industry and specifically around the kind of lip service paid to diverse voices Mm. in literature. Um, I mean, it's just got a killer tagline on the cover. It's, what is it? It's a hell of a story. It's just not hers to tell. Yeah, just not hers to tell. Genius. So genius. So if you like Yellowface, we recommend that you pick up a book called Burnt Out by Victoria Brookman. So this book uh, was published in 2022, so last year, off the back of the horrendous bushfires um, that we had in a lot of places in Australia. And I think it's a comparable, uh, or it's a great recommendation um, to follow Yellowface is because on the surface, you know, it's a light rom-com and underneath I think it's dealing with some bigger (laughs) issues around climate change, but also it's very much based in that publishing world, just like Yellowface. So the premise of that story is Callie Lyons uh, is living in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, which is where author Victoria Brookman resides as well. And she is past her deadline for this unwritten second manuscript Um, And her husband has just left her. So, you know, rock bottom, all of the elements of rock bottom. 
And just when she thinks things can't get worse, <laughs> her home goes up in flames um, from these horrendous bushfires. And she goes viral on social media with this rant, you know, um, I guess imploring nations rich to do something with their money and actually help. Uh, she becomes the celebrity face for climate movement. Uh, and she is offered a place of refuge in Sydney with this billionaire Arlo. Sexy billionaire. Yeah. Um, and I know that Victoria had a specific house in mind <laughs> when she wrote this part Maybe of the book. Maybe a specific billionaire as well. Yeah, a specific billionaire. <laughs> um, and at that point, her story kind of changes and she has inspiration for this second novel. So in the beginning, she not only, you know, hasn't written the second novel, she kind of doesn't really have an idea. So... Yeah, she her life changes drastically when she becomes the darling of society and she's kind of rubbing shoulders with this different world and she's learning, you know, that things aren't quite what they uh, what they seem and a lot of things are built on lies. So, yeah, there's definitely parallels I think in terms of the publishing industry stuff and then also that you get to the end of the story and you feel like you've really scratched more than the surface of um yeah, some bigger issues. And it's, yeah, I think it's called Romance with an Activist Twist. Oh, which I is, like that. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, I mean, one, there's definitely like a note of like cringing anxiety common to both of these books mm. around writers missing their deadlines. <laughs> I mean, that's really that's, speaks to us yeah. <laughs> personal it's level. It's triggering. But yeah, thought-provoking and timely, I think is probably those two things that um, they, those books have in common. I will say there's much more fun sex seeds in Burnt Out than there is in Yellow Face. <laughs> there there's, there. n- there's no romance thread in Yellow Face. <laughs> so, Claire, guess what? What? We're at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we have survived. Thank you for sticking with us. and we walk out of this room and have a coughing fit yeah, now. Yeah, with your butter menthols. No, mm. I think you did so well. And, yeah, I was supposed to be carrying a bit more of the load, but you're so good. Michael. Oh, cool. The people needed to hear from you as well, Claire. Uh, so I think until next time, this has been That Rom-Com Pod. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, leave us a review. Bye. Bye.